This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. Every ship needs a captain. We need a person that others will follow with the same further that those of us who follow Trump have. Not like the pathetic and flaccid followers of Joe Biden. There is a passion that's exciting with the people that follow Donald Trump. We need somebody that could bring people to that level of trust and confidence in your leadership. Even Barack Obama had leadership qualities that allowed him to get away with bad policies, okay? And I think if Barack Obama did anything, he proved that. And by the way, Barack Obama, he led a stumbling, bumbling economy. But when it came to Donald Trump, the establishment had to just totally damage Trump to keep him from being reelected. And that's a fact. Damaging a surging America at a critical time, bringing us to the low point that we are at. We were fighting to get back, and we're still fighting to get back. Trousers and motorcycle boots And a black leather jacket with his name on the back He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Ride Radio His name is New York Mike And welcome to the show This is Roll Right Radio I'm New York Mike Hey, this is Roll Right Radio I'm New York Mike And I want to start off this podcast <laughs> Where we left off at the last podcast And I'm going to what we left off was, by the way, we talked about leadership last time, the importance of leadership. Every ship has to have a captain. And I want to get back to that. First, I want to do some catch-up and some clean-up. We're on our way to Austin, Texas. We're going to be going there this week. I've been riding motorcycles for a long, long time. Oh, my God. Got my first bike, 1963. <laughs> Yeah, I know. 63. I said it. There you go. Um, it's going on 60 years of riding. 59. Wow. And in all these years, I don't think I've ever trailed a motorcycle for my own account. Owning a dealership for as long as I did. We've put bikes in the back of trailers. I've taken bikes in trailers to bike shows across the country. I remember when we took me and Fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> we took a 103 anniversary road glide, beautiful, the silver and black with all the, and we took it to Washington, D.C. to get signed by every governor at the, yeah, the National Governors Conference. That's a great story. If I haven't told that, I, I will one day. <laughs> it was truly a great story that in motorcycling history, I think it really was. So we're going to Austin. And when talking about it and how we're going to do it and everything, for some reason, I agreed. Petrina wanted to ride her bike. Every year that we've gone, uh, I ride, and then she'll fly in, just like we do, you know, uh, Memorial Day weekend in Washington, D.C. for Rolling Thunder, Rolling to Remember. Petrina will fly out, we'll get her a bike, and it's great. But not having the dealership anymore and... I'm sure if I wanted to get a bike and rent a bike, I'd get a bike. And I, I just don't feel as comfortable. 
I just don't. That's just the way it is. So I put it off and I didn't do it. She loves her bike. It's a 2021 Heritage 114, beautiful bike. And she just had it customized, painted. It's, it's, it really is beautiful. And she wants to have a bike. Well, I don't blame her. This is a, a really cool event. I'll talk about that for a little bit. PLH, Peace, Love, and Happiness. And it's the 20th anniversary of the beginning, the start of Peace, Love, and Happiness. And it's been quite a uh, great event. They have, I'd say, three, four PLH rides a year. It started in Austin, Texas, 20 years ago on uh, John Paul DeJoria's birthday. And they raise a lot of money for some very good causes. And that's actually how and why I got involved. I've, I've known John Paul for a, a long time. He's been riding into Sturgis for a long time. I actually knew him, met him around 1989 and 90 up in Deer Valley at the Golden Hirsch Hotel. That's another long story. <laughs> but he started this 20 years ago, and I see him every year at Sturgis. We bump into each other. But it was in uh, somewhere around 2010 or 11 that I actually met Jay Redmond. Jay Redmond is a, I want to say famous, and, and he may be. He's a very well-known retired SEAL who was shot up really bad in Afghanistan in 2007. Shot in the face, in the arm, in the back. It was really bad. He was in the hospital for a very long time. And so the story goes, after just a few months in the hospital, people started coming in. They didn't know if he'd live or die. He was in horrible shape, was in pain and all that. And he just got tired of people coming in and crying and saying all these things. So he put a sign on the door. I'm going to quote that sign one of these days. He put a sign on the door that basically said, look, if you're not going to come in here and be strong and powerful and, and say positive things and all that, stay the hell out. Just don't come in. We don't need you. And he, he wrote it out by hand, put it up on the door, stuck it up there. I remember going to Walter Reed with Robert Patrick and we're visiting. And I thought it was just a great inspirational thing. And I put it in my motorcycle and I put it in the tar pack and took it. And I just kept it. Every once in a while, I'd look at it just, it's important to get inspiration wherever you can in life. <laughs> this challenges every day. There's always these things, and you need that. You just need that. And I kept this as, I wouldn't say as a talisman, but I would say as something that was clearly inspiration. I didn't have to read it every time I looked at it. Just seeing it was great. And then in around 2010 or 11, I'm in Sturgis at the Veterans Ride from Spearfish to the Buffalo Chip. It's on the Thursday of Sturgis. Sponsored by the chip and, you know, and Woody and the crew down there. And it's a cool event. Not huge, but it's nice. And that Thursday night, Woody always honors, does something really cool up on the stage for veterans. And I've been there for years. And several years ago, he invited me up on the stage. I'm out there and I'm meeting all these guys. There's, I don't know, maybe a hundred guys and and they got this thing, downtown Spearfish always did a really nice way. They put up a tent and a stage, and it was really cool. And I mean, the different people that I didn't know, most of the people I knew, and someone said, oh, this is Jay Redmond. And I looked at them, I'm like, Jay Redmond? Really? 
He goes, yeah, Jay's retired Navy SEAL. And I said, wait a second. And I go on my bike and I pull this out and I come back. I said, is this yours? <laughs> he goes, yeah. And Jay and I have been friends ever since. But it was like that year or the next year. And then at this point, Jay's done some amazing things from 07 to now for 15 years. Wow. But in that time, he's built a great organization that overcome Army. I talk about Jay Redmond a lot, his get off the X kind of a thing. You know, when you're on the X, you're on the target. You find you're the target, get the hell off the target, man. And it, it only makes sense, right? And he's got all that. But back then, he was just getting started. And I know that he was and is, but you know, even at that, that stage, just getting back on his feet, you know, after I don't know how many surgeries and all the rest of it. And he clearly was doing things for other veterans. You could see him with his buddy Ty Southern, who was a real badly wounded Marine, lost both legs and an arm. And I mean, what a great character. What a guy. What an amazing, amazing human being. Ty Southern is. Jay Redmond surrounds himself with these amazing people that are nothing but inspirational. And I'm in Daytona, and you know, there's different rides all over the place. People always tell me, hey, you're going to go to this, you're going to go to that. I've been to the Republic of Texas <laughs> event, I've, I've been there with Sputnik, I've been to others. And then someone says, hey, you're going to go to Peace, Love, and Happiness. I said, I don't know. And said, yeah, I know that JP is raffling off a bike and the money's going to Jay Redmond's organization. I said, really? They go, yeah, it's really something else. And they describe it all to me in these great terms. It's like, oh man, what he's done. And I said, wow. And I, I know JP a long time, if not that well, I've known him and we've hung out from time to time. But I heard about this. I said, man, are you kidding me? I got to go. And whatever year that was, I'm sure it was at least 10 years, with the 10, the 2010 or 11. And we went, I wrote, Petrina <laughs> flew in, and we had the best time, met some of the best people. And these people, JP and his friends, they're all part of that. Paul Mitchell, ill hair care, that's his deal, and Ultra Face Cosmetics. It's all just people in that industry, but they all ride Harleys. They're all really into Harley Davidson and Indian motorcycles for the most part. Once in a while, you'll see some other brand, but mostly it's an American thing. That's what I'm about. And so we've been going ever since. And he does some amazing things for great charities. I could talk about what he does and military charities for the last 20 years has been in my heart. And so... What he does for individuals, organizations, groups, it's great. And being a part of this peace, love, and happiness ride. You know, I try to a couple of times a year. I do the one in Sturgis for sure. We've had one up at Oakley. They've done in around the country, and I try to jump in there. So here we are. We're on the way to Austin, and I've put the bikes on the trail. <laughs> Again, it's not something that I do. I hate riding bikes. 
up the ramp on the trail, back off the ramp, off the trail. The tie downs are a pain in the ass, but that's not that difficult. And it, it's just a little bit more time consuming than I have the patience for. But we get it done. It's not a problem. But getting there, getting the bike off the trail again and all that stuff. So we're going to do it. It's going to be fine. I remember one year, actually, Petrina and I did it. And uh, Billy Lane was great. We got into Orlando, going to Daytona, and we pulled in and left the bikes in the trailer. And we left them with Billy in Orlando, and he helped get the bikes off the trailer. Then we came back, and he helped roll the bikes on the trailer. I just remembered that. So here we are, and this is the plan, and here we go. And the next podcast, I'm sure, will be either in Austin or on the way back from Austin. We'll see how it goes. We talk about leadership, and you talk about leadership on every level, by the way. You know, they say all politics is local, and a lot of that leadership is local. You know, when we talk about leadership, I talk about people like Jay Redmond. I was just here in San Diego. I had lunch with him last week. Just great seeing him. Being with him is inspirational. And here's something that happened. I got a book, and we talked about my friend Richie Ada's book, How to rally and it's on amazon i'm telling you get it because it's that inspirational it really is we sit down in carlsbad as Revan is on his way into san diego and i'm able to give him richie and his book as a gift not for any reason more than his birthday i get to see the guy very seldom and we had lunch and i said you know what I got an extra one of Richie's books. I ordered a few of them for, for friends. And I'm going to give this to Jay. And I really should give it to other people as well. And I should have brought it with me to give a copy to JP. But I'm going to send them one. But I was able to give that book. Now, here's Jay Redmond, one of the most inspirational speakers you'll ever hear. See, if you have an opportunity to see him, if he's doing something in your part of the country, and he always is, it's more than just a motivational speaker. He has a slideshow and films, and it's really something. I love to check him out on uh, Instagram. He's got his Monday muster. <laughs> love it. But here I have this just great inspirational book. Now, Richie Ada served. He was in the National Guard or the Reserves during the Vietnam era. He's a little older than me. His story isn't about what we did to survive in the military, which clearly Jay's is, and it should be way beyond that. Mine, being in the military in Vietnam, taking care of the family after tragedy strikes, and then going on and building two careers and all that. So all that. But Richie's is different. And I've known this guy. I've known him for 35 years or more since the mid-70s. Oh, my God, it's a long time. And I can tell you that his leadership skills, his team building skills are so different. It's all about leadership, team building, inspiring, motivating. That's leadership. And it's the kind of thing that on that level, the people that choose to follow you and who you choose to allow follow you is that network that allows you to be that leader. Now, I would imagine that's a much broader and large number with a Jay Redmond than a Richie Ada. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. 
but I would think, you know, in Redmond sold two best-selling books. One was Trident. And the other one, How to Overcome, and I think he's on the third one now. Richie's maybe more narrowly focused, but I think that Redmond will be very much inspired by what he reads from Richie, and vice versa, if they ever talk to each other, exchange ideas, it's going to be great. But then think about that as you go to the next level of leadership. You know, talk about it, John Paul, his documentaries. He's done things. He's on a large level. His influence is the amount of people that are inspired by what he does and what he does specifically to achieve that, to do that. Then you, you know, you move on. Don't get me wrong about this, but I don't think that when Jesus was walking the earth, when he was walking from one part of Israel to the other, from the Galilee to Jerusalem, I don't think he was thinking of inspiring so many people and bigger numbers. I think he was teaching and spreading the word of how to do things, his ideas of growing crops, of farming, surviving in the desert. These are ideas that he was teaching. I don't think people who do that think in terms of, I got to inspire more people. How many more people can we get? It's not like it's a product, even though it's a product, but it's not like that. And then people get involved. What makes somebody then go from inspiring people by books and speaking engagements and motivational events to running for office? And then do they realize when they run for office that chances are they might be inspiring even more people? because they'll have a, a larger sphere of influence over people. Do they think that? I don't know. I mean, I ran for office three times. I know what motivated me. I guess there's a part of that that says that. But then think about it. Think about motivating people. Think about running for office on a local level. Think about all the things you do. Leadership, leadership from level to level in this country. I read a lot of these historical novels, and I've been watching these TV series. I think it's amazing that you can see these novels come to life. I'll put it that way. These novels come to life in these TV series from the Netflix documentaries and series that they make on the world as it was back at the turn of the centuries, back in the year five, six, seven hundred and how far it's come. And the ultimate leader was a king. And it wasn't the king of all of a nation state, but the Game of Thrones, maybe six or seven or eight, whatever, you know, thrones, which are, each one has a king in the British Empire. And that became the you know, one nation state, England, one king. And that was it. And the king was however they, they got to be king. But in America... Anybody could be, call it king, president. That's what it is. It's president. It's a four-year term. You get reelected, or maybe not, but after the second term, they decided the president has term limits. I think that happened after Roosevelt. Roosevelt was elected, what, four times? So they didn't have term limits for presidents before then. And I don't know if it's good or bad. I'm not a term limit fan, okay? I'm just not. 
nonetheless, that's what we have in a president. So you become a leader and you can choose in America like no place else. Again, most of the world, a title of leadership has to be conveyed upon you. You know, you're the Earl of this, the whatever of that. And then you finally become the King of England or the Queen of England. And, you know, or from France. And and now, you know, most of these have been replaced with prime ministers and whatever, and we have presidents. So just think about the leadership responsibility when somebody becomes the president. And that was the point that I was trying to make, the importance of that, the importance of that leadership. How is it? They elect Zelensky. Now, look, I've heard all the things, this Zoros guy and this other guy and this and the corruption out of this. However, it got there. OK, because today we're talking about virtually a third world war. We're talking about a nation that is under attack by Russia, a nation of 44 million under attack by a nation of 144 million. And with one of the largest, most potent military organizations, armies, air force, navy on earth. And up steps this clown. And I say that in the nicest way, because he was a comedian, a dancer, an actor, a comedian, and he got to be the president. Poof! Like overnight. How does that happen? When it's good, it's clearly serendipitous. It's wow. And there's no such thing as coincidence. So how does that happen? Was this some sort of a conspiracy of these? Whatever. They chose him. They made him. He accepted it. He got it. He became. Did he know when he was elected that this was going to happen? Did he know? I don't know that anybody knows what's going to happen in the future, but clearly... You can see that the country's under duress. You can see what's going on. There's got to be something, and I want to know what it is. I want to know more about Zelensky. I want to know more about what happened. But one thing that I do know that he's standing up, he's charismatic, he's leading his country. He's leading his country in such a way that it's inspiring the free world worldwide. It's inspiring everybody. And was this guy, this actor, this comedian and dancer, what it made him think that he had these qualities? Now, look, the guy's, a, you know, he got out of law school. He's educated. He's not a stupid man. Clearly not. But how did they know? And so <laughs> did that set the stage? They said, hey, we got Solinsky. He's still pretty good. Let's do the same thing. We'll get a guy that's been in politics. Let's get Biden, get him in here the same way. Didn't work out as well, did it? Nope, it didn't work out as well. And so I think that's the question that I, I left off with last time. Do we have to find that leader? And I, I think the answer is either we find that leader or that leader finds us. We are a nation of people looking for leadership. And that's always the case, whether it's a congregation of a church or a synagogue. This congregation is looking for leadership. If you want to think about it in those terms, or whatever terms you want to think about it in, we are a nation 
looking for leadership. And where did that leader find us? Which in America, that's normally the case. Somebody who has the ambition to be president, it's probably somebody who's, you know, already reached some pinnacle of success as a senator or a governor, not as a mayor. I know there's that Mayor Pete dude. No, I don't think so. And, and I know I laugh when I talk about people I vehemently disagree with or have very little regard for on a professional basis. I don't know these people personally. I have no idea for the most part. If I badmouth somebody, it's a personal level, except for some people, like, like Joe Biden, okay? Kamala Harris, because I think the people that call people like me racist are, are slimy people. And I don't like it. I'm not going to accept it. But besides that, we've chosen somebody on a national level to lead us. Clearly, the Ukrainians <laughs> have fared a lot better in their choice than we have with this guy Biden. What are we going to do? We have to have good leadership in order to be successful. I don't care whether it's a church, a synagogue, a, a business, a town, a city, or whatever. You have to have good leadership. And you have to be able to get rid of the leadership that you have that's not good. And I think I made my point about why it's so important. It might be Moses, it might be Karl Marx, it could be Stalin, it could be Einstein, it could be Hercules. You just don't know. But you do your best to eliminate the negative factors, the bad people, the people that may lead you down the path you don't want to go. And I made my point about the fact that every ship needs a captain. And why is that? Because we need a person that others will follow with the same further that those of us who follow Trump have, not like the pathetic and flaccid followers of Joe Biden, okay? I'm telling you right now. You might not like Trump, but those of us who follow Trump with a passion, we do. We do. We believe in what this man can do and what he's done from the very start, for the first moment of his presidency. He's exhibited this great judgment and then a lot of people don't like his tweets. He said bad things. Well, he had to say the things he had to say to overcome the things that the press was saying about him. And that was fake news. He had to give real news. He had to overcome fake news. And that's what it took to do it. Do I agree with everything he said? I don't agree with everything I say. Come on. And, and don't tell me that once in a while I don't say something that you would call stupid. I know, okay, yes. I'm not the president of the United States. I get that. I'm just saying that there is a passion that's exciting with the people that follow Donald Trump. Take a look at the rallies that he has right now. I was at his rally in January, January 16th in Arizona, you know, outside of Phoenix. It was amazing. There was 40 or 50,000 people there, and it was in the middle of no place. We need somebody that could bring people to that level of trust and confidence in your leadership. Even Barack Obama had leadership qualities that allowed him to get 
<laughs> with bad policies, okay? Look, I don't care who you are. You love Barack Obama, fine. Leading from behind is not good. It's never good. And I think if Barack Obama did anything, he proved that. And by the way, Barack Obama, he led a stumbling, bumbling economy. Do you remember what it was like on the... I know everybody's going to say how great it was, at least on his side. Well, it wasn't, and I remember it very well. But when it came to Donald Trump, the establishment had to just totally damage Trump to keep him from being reelected. And that's a fact. Damaging a surging America at a critical time, bringing us to the low point that we are at. We were fighting to get back, and we're still fighting to get back. And then every once in a while, I wonder, are we really fighting to get back? Here we are. Facing the prospect of a world war, we have the two parties, the left, the right, and the great middle class in the center. We're still fighting each other instead of the common enemies of all of us. Are we really fighting to get back? Are we really trying to find that leader, that charismatic, intelligent, that leader that we're all willing to follow? Are we looking for that? Or do we have these? 30-something percent of the Democrats who are, well, the country, I'm not sure which it is, that are still saying that Biden is still trying to keep him where he is. I, I'm just not sure where we're going as a country. You like Biden? Fine. You can like him all you want. I don't. That's my business. But if he was doing the great things for America that Donald Trump was doing, I wouldn't keep him right where he is. I'd say, yeah, he's doing a good job. I want him to do a good job. But he's not. This country's in deep trouble. The inflation, what happened in Afghanistan, the southern border, everything, the racial divide that no one's trying to put together. Not when you call me a racist all day long. Not when you're promoting this theory of white privilege. And I mean, it's just wrong. There's nothing that's coming together. And now what we're doing with the, on the edge of this world war in Ukraine, in Europe, and with everything going on, let's acknowledge. It's not right. It's not in the best interest of America. Instead of trying to come together for this common enemy. And by the way, it's an existential situation. It's threatening the survival of America, the existence of this country as we know it. The leaders of this country must first identify those problems, the existential problems of our times. They have to talk about why these issues threaten our very existence and why we must have a collective national policy focusing on these issues and putting all the other divisive issues on the back burner. Who can do this? It cannot be done by one person. It will take a team capable of grabbing the attention of the people, capturing our imagination, and instilling in us the confidence that we need in our leader to lead this great nation to solve these problems. We have got to come together, and we've got to do this as a nation and not be separated. We're at each other's throats. When I talk about Mount Soledad, I talk about Phil Paulson, who was the plaintiff on the side of taking down the cross on Mount Soledad, 
Now, of course, we know it was the ACLU and the whole left wing, but Paulson was the face. And I talked to Phil Paulson. We were civil. I was the leader of my side. You know, it was my petition. I was the chairman of the Save Our Cross Committee. And we met and talked so many times. We didn't yell and scream. He didn't call me a scumbag and I didn't call him an idiot. We just didn't. We respected each other. Nobody had that same consideration for Donald Trump. Why? Because they just didn't like him? We're going to find out why did they come up with this corrupt Russia concept? Why did they lie about what he said at Charlottesville? Why did they lie about so much more of what he said? Why did they do everything to destroy his presidency? There's not one policy issue that you can point to that was not positive. Okay, you could say, you don't want to get rid of Obamacare, and he did. Oh, yeah, I could see that. I want to get rid of Obamacare. Don't get me wrong. So there were two, the Second Amendment issues, the right to life issues and those things. I get it. I get it. But when we talk about existential issues, we're talking about the survival of the United States. Our Department of Defense has lost so much ground just in the last year and a half that Joe Biden's been president. It's disastrous in the face of a world war that's going on right now and in what China's doing. So we just have to come together and we have to decide, are we going to be one country, one nation under God, indivisible? with liberty and justice for all. Now, okay, now you're going to go and say, oh, yeah, but there's no justice for black people. I'm tired of hearing that too, okay? You know something? If a black man could become president of the United States before a Jewish man could become president of the United States, before a woman could become president of the United States, anybody can, you got to stop this already. Of course life isn't fair. Some people are born smart, some are not so smart, some are tall and athletic, some are, some are just frumpy. And I mean, that's life. People are born with handicaps. What are you going to do? Life has never been fair and never will be fair. And you're trying to carve out a panacea of wonderfulness. I was watching an interesting interview with David Mehmet, a playwright and a screenwriter, what he said that we lost as a country, we lost our belief in God. And I don't agree with that, by the way, but I get it. I could see why somebody would say that because there are so many of these atheists and so many other, you know, you have a choice. Why people choose not to believe, or you could choose to believe just as easily, but that's okay. What Mehmet said that was interesting, and I have to think about it, is that when you lose your belief in God, you lose your ability to be grateful. There's something to that. What do you think? What are you grateful for? Oh, things just fell into place? Oh, you just have these blessings in your life? You just have the miracle of your children and birth and ongoing and the miracle of the medicine. Think about the medicine, the level that we've achieved in this country to reduce pain and suffering. I get kidney stones. And I, I got to tell you, I remember getting a kidney stone while I was riding on my motorcycle. I was riding from Daytona on my uh, V-Rod. I was flying past Pensacola, and I stopped for breakfast. 
early in the morning and I'm feeling this pain and I get on the road and oh, the pain just got horrible. And then I had to pull over and I puked and I got back on the bike and the pain got so bad. It finally hit me. Oh my God, it's a kidney stone. Now I'm riding. What am I going to do? Stop getting off the bike and lay on the ground. And I see this sign going into Gulfport, Mississippi that, you know, had that little green sign that says hospital. I'm going, thank God. But I want to tell you what my thoughts were because I remember it specifically. Now I've had probably 10 episodes with kidney stones. Some of them have been really bad, hospitalized for days and days. But this one, I remember the pain I'm riding and I had to ride. What are you going to do? And I was thinking, oh my God, what happened? Well, I don't know how many years ago. Maybe it was 50, maybe it was 100. Certainly 100 and 150 years ago when you got kidney stones. What if you're a farmer and you're a pioneer and you're traveling across the country and you're farming in the middle and, you know, this is 1873, I'll pick a year. And there is no medicine, there is no painkiller, and there's no hospital at the next exit. What do you do? How many people died from a kidney stone? How many people had to endure the absolute pain? The pain is horrendous. People compare it to childbirth and things like that. I have no idea. I only had the kidney stone. I know what pain is, and when you think about it, here we are, we're within minutes to hours at the most of getting treatment and painkillers and whatever it takes. That's amazing. Think about the other miracles that we have. Do you want to be thankful? I'm not talking about something that happens like a magic trick. Wow, that was great. Oh, God did that. But is there a God that guides the hand of humanity through time? and takes us from where we were to where we are to where we're going. You don't have to believe it if you don't want to. But who do you thank? We say, thank God. We say, God bless you. It's still here. But I'm not sure I agree with him that we've lost God. I see that many are losing God. I see it. And maybe they are losing. And maybe they're just attributing their success or their ability to get whatever done to their own greatness. Okay, great. But he also talked about the death of free speech. And by the way, and the cost, I guess he wrote the book titled The Death of Free Speech and The Cost of a Free Lunch. Boy, I find that to be an interesting statement because there is no such thing as a free lunch. He talks about people like the Clintons, the Obamas, the Bidens, etc. And he says they didn't cause our downfall, that they're the result. They're the people who take advantage of where we are. The door opened by the left, an invitation to be exploited, and the promises of a bed of roses, peace and love and happiness. (laughs) I just threw that in there. But truly, you know, even though that's the name of the ride, I made that up. Okay, it's not funny. Free colleges, free child care, paid family leave, of, of course, for both parents. A wonderful world where no one will say anything that would be hurtful to anyone else. First Amendment be damned. But you got to think about these things. Sticks and stones can hurt my bones, but names can never harm me. What happened to that? When we grew up, 
We called each other names all the time. And yes, some of them were very nasty terms, nasty names. But so what? You learn how to deal with that. You learn tolerance. Turn the other cheek and walk away. It's not sticks and it's not stones. It's mere words. When you have to give the weight to words to make your word have some importance, to make your word have some meaning, you give it. When you just get out there and say stupid things and curse people and call them names and everything, you're degrading yourself is what you're doing. Think about that, that no one will say anything that could be hurtful to someone else. We have a First Amendment that says you have free speech. We have free speech. They're making these promises. They're wrong. With the rules of conduct in the worst place are, are not just spelled out. The rules of conduct, not just spelled out, and we're not talking about unions, not just spelled out and enforced by government agencies. They're available for lawyers, okay, to sue. They're available for lawyers to sue. The government comes in and, and makes this Americans with Disabilities Act. Okay, good, noble reasoning, noble cause. What happens? Lawyers go around and extort money from anybody and everybody whose business does not comply. Now, you make a law. It says you have to have counters that can accommodate people in wheelchairs. You have to have this. You got to have that. And, okay, they make the law. Now, how long is it going to take a business? And maybe the business isn't making enough money to make those changes even in a quote-unquote reasonable period of time. But then here comes this lawyer. I've been through it. And so many people in San Diego that I talked to who in business had to deal with the same lawyer who came around and went through this whole thing within the first couple of two, three, four years, and still today there are people coming around extorting businesses for this law. And I'm not saying that the law is wrong. I'm saying the lawyers. We've got to do something to keep them in check. But that's what this government is promising people. And the next thing you know, everybody's suing everybody else, and people have got to tiptoe through all their relationships. Certainly me as an owner of a business had to tiptoe through all these relationships. People who today are friends of mine we're just friends. I no longer own the business. Well, I can now call so-and-so. Say, hey, how was your weekend? Did you ever hook up with that chick you were chasing? Well, I'm talking to a girl now. So <laughs> I couldn't do that when I owned the business, but I could do it now because I don't. What was the difference? Well, the difference is the government. This is what you're promising people. You got to be careful what you promise. You got to be careful what you wish for because this isn't right. But this is what people are doing, that they're being promised all these things, a free lunch. You know, a country that awards affirmative action to what? To give aggrieved black citizens advantages to make up for injustices to their ancestors? Who pays for that? Is there a cost to these things? I'm telling you, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And we as citizens, we need, a, we need leaders. 
that can explain that to people who think we should be paying for their college education. They take out these loans. And by the way, take out a college loan. Do I know you used it for college? Do I know what you did in college? Did you go to school every day? Did you really study? You know what? I don't want to be involved in that. And you don't want me involved in that. There is no such thing as a free lunch. And I think that we need to spend more time trying to understand that. And we need the leadership in this country that isn't going to cater to all these left-wing whims that you can have all this for free and you can have all that for free. Meanwhile, spending money on free college instead of spending money to defend this country against the eventuality of a war with China? Look at Ukraine and Russia. Can anything happen in a war that Russia expect in its wildest Putin nightmare that they would be at war almost 40 days later against Ukraine? Most of the world said they'll take it over in 48 hours, 72 hours. Okay, here it is, the 40th day coming up. It's ongoing with deaths and destruction on both sides. Are we preparing for those kind of eventualities? Do you think everything is, you could put it in the box and say, this is what, well, if you could do that, then Putin would have walked right through the Ukraine. Zelensky would have just kneeled down and said, well, what do you need? How, how do we make you happy so we don't have to deal with, no, that's not what happened, is it? So we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the Russians are going to do. We don't know what the Chinese are going to do. Take a look at what's going on today. Would you rather have a military that could say to Putin, we're going to create a no-fly zone, and no, you're not going to shoot off your nuclear weapons. You're not going to shoot missiles. You're not going to threaten us. We want you out of the Ukraine. But what we're going to do to help create a fairer fight is create a no-fly zone over those cities so you can't bomb innocent civilians. Would you like to do that? As a nation, would that make you feel better? It sure would make me feel better. I don't want boots on the ground. I don't want to go fighting Ukraine's war or anybody else's war. Now, of course, if it's a NATO country that's attacked, we have an agreement with every NATO country, and everybody agrees, oh, we don't want to disrupt our NATO relationships. But, oh, if the Russians go into Poland, or Romania, or any other NATO country, we're going to go in there and fight that war. But no, and not only are we not going to fight Ukraine's war, which I agree with, not to fight their war, we're not going to help them beyond a certain point because we don't want to upset. We don't want to disturb Putin. We don't want to upset Russia to a point that they may do something untoward. Like what? Go to war? Oh, okay. You think they're going to drop a nuclear? So that is what's keeping us from doing the right thing. And we can. And you don't think that Putin would back down. And I do. And I think it's a risk worth taking because you're going to save thousands and thousands of lives and set a precedent that everybody, including the United States and especially China, is more likely to adhere to if we set that example. We're not in that position. You know why we're not in that position? Well, number one, because we don't have the leadership to be in that position. We don't have somebody with guts. We don't have somebody that can play chicky with Putin 
and where Putin would jump to the side first. If Putin wouldn't stand on that yellow line, no, he, he's not up against Donald Trump. Donald Trump would stand on that yellow line. Look what Donald Trump did when he said, there's my red line. If you use chemical weapons against your people, we're going to do what we have. He dropped 60 missiles. Yep, that's what Donald Trump did. And Putin knows it. What did Biden do? He didn't even approve the attack on bin Laden. He was the one that said no. He's just a punk. I don't like him. I really don't like him. I don't like saying things like that about whoever's in office of the presidency. But we got to start setting it up. We've got to start getting vocal and getting serious about what's going on. It's more than a lack of leadership. It's bad leadership, doing bad things. What he did in Afghanistan was totally bad, wrong, horrendous, and has had horrendous results, which are getting worse for the United States. What he's doing in allowing our Department of Defense to become just, I mean, we're losing ground instead of gaining ground. And we should be gaining ground. We should have a vigorous effort to build our Defense Department, our Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Space Force into the strongest military organizations on the planet. And we're not. And we need to do something about that. By the way, Joe Biden's you know, advice, if you're concerned about inflation and the cost of gas, just fill your tank up halfway each time. Yeah, that'll help. So instead of spending $100, you'll spend $50. Of course, you'll only be getting half a tank. Yeah, I made that up. I'm being facetious, but I'm telling you, that doesn't work, obviously. We have to have the whole thing, the whole nine yards. We need real leadership, and we have to go in that direction. We need the Democrats, the independents on our side. We need the Republicans on our side. We need to elect really good people, and we need to support those people. And we need to support the people who are supporting the best interest of the United States today. And we need to be able to differentiate between bad decisions and good decisions for the survival of America. If you do not see that we are in a battle for the continued existence of America, do I agree with David Mehmet that we've lost our belief in God? I think that's very important. I really do think it's very important. How do we gain that back? How do we gain that back without offending so many people? Not that they don't believe in God, but maybe they don't believe in your God. How do we do it? I'm not sure, but I think we have to talk more about it. I'm a spiritual person. I believe in God. And maybe we just need to talk about that more often right now at this time, because this is a critical time for humanity. If we could sit and watch what Russia's doing to the people of Ukraine and just sit there and fold our arms and look and do little, then we're doing little. We should do a lot more. We're going to talk about that on Roll Right Radio. I'm rolling into Austin, Texas this week. And our next Roll Right Radio podcast will hopefully be coming from Austin, Texas. I'm New York Mike, and for right now, I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio Podcast.
Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.